Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. And uh, I have to admit, I'm a little offended nobody sits in the front. Like, is that me or is it the band? I'm not sure. Um, but next week, maybe somebody will sit up here and make me feel better about myself. Um, have you ever agreed to a job without knowing what it was going to pay, and at the end you were a bit disappointed? Like, like when you're a kid and, and your neighbor, you know, a nice old man is like, hey, come rake up my leaves and I'll pay it. And you're, you're, you know, raking up the leaves and thinking about what you're going to buy. And when I was a kid, it would be a Slurpee and a bag of candy at 7-Eleven. And then at the end, he's like, oh, good job, and gives you a dollar. You're like, that took three hours. I ever had some of that? We probably all have. It's like, that just was not worth it. Or how about those times, maybe in, in a, a race or something else where you're you're right at the end, you know, and you're tempted to give up. You're like, oh, but I can push through. And you make it. You're like, that was worth it. You know, uh, again, a race, your last lap. And you're like, I can do it. And you push it through. And you make it to the end. And you kind of pass out. But you got a personal record or whatever it is. Today's passage in Hebrews, and you can turn there, Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to be looking at that idea of, of sticking it out. Kind of the big idea. I'll give it right up front. The big idea is endure to the end in your faith. Endure to the end, it's worth it. The gospel, if you didn't know, is really good news. But have you ever really thought about it's also bad news? The gospel's bad news for the person who won't believe. Because the gospel's true, and it's the only truth, right? The only true way to God is, is through Jesus Christ. And those who reject it, hell and judgment are a very real place. And so this, this passage today we're going to look at, the whole thing is stick it out to the end because it's worth it, because it's worth it. But there's also first the other side of the coin. Now what we're going to see uh, is actually probably the most difficult passage in all of the New Testament. So I'm going to skim through it really fast. Um, but it really is. It's a really difficult passage in, in uh, Hebrews 6. But as you look at the whole context it's helpful, and it's one of those things we need. I, I'd be honest, this is mainly, I would say, kids. Um, I would want my kids to hear this passage, and they're driving home right now from California, so um, they're not going to hear it, but maybe they will. But this, this idea here, stick it out to the end, is one that we really need, and these people that he's writing to, right, these, these Jewish Christians early on, were tempted to go back to what they believed before, right? Tempted to walk away from the faith, and that's what's happening here. So, Last week, kind of runs off last week, last week Ben looked at chapter 5 and the idea of uh, it's time to grow up, right? And so maybe some of us were a little bit offended by, by Ben, uh, but it wasn't Ben, it was the passage. But the writer is saying it's time to grow up, and really last week and this week go together, and if we link back to a few weeks ago, if you remember, the warning was don't drift, right? Uh, break the grip of the rip is what we talked about, right? The, the, a rip current pulling us away. This kind of goes off of that, where he's saying, be careful, don't drift. You slowly drift off, or, and you, you're either moving forward or you're moving back with Christ. And last week, we looked at the idea that some people had moved backwards, right? They had learned the stuff, and then they're kind of going back to the beginning. And this warning goes off of that one. Now, if you drift far enough back, you might drift all the way, right? Or, or you drift away, pretty soon you're totally lost. Let's look at Hebrews 6. We're going to start in verse Four. We'll start in verse 1, actually. Get the context here. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works 
and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So that kind of uh, is the transition from last week into this. He's saying, it's time to grow up. We can talk about these things, but these are the foundational basic things, right? We shouldn't have to waste time on that anymore. He's saying, you guys should be past that. You should be teaching others, but you keep going back to this. And this goes straight into verse four. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Okay, what? (laughs) We, We look at this and there's several ways to read this. And one of those is This is a believer who has lost their salvation. Now, we're going to look at three basic interpretations. That first one, which there there have been whole groups of believers that have read that and said, okay, a believer can lose their salvation. And if that's true, that changes everything about your faith. Because if you can lose it, uh, there's not a lot of security and there's some fear there that you could lose your salvation. As we read scripture, here's one very important thing to keep in mind. The less clear must be interpreted by, in, interpreted? Yeah, there you go. Translated, whatever, by the more clear. So if there's something kind of confusing, look at what is clear elsewhere, and sometimes that means we start with what something can't believe or, or can't mean, right? So here, this one, can this mean that we can lose our salvation? Let's look at John 10, 27 to 29. It'll be on the screen here. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That is one of the most clear passages where Jesus is saying, the Father gives me sheep, and that is any believer. He gives them into my hand, and no one can snatch them away. Meaning, if you're in in the fold, right? If Jesus is Lord of your life, if you belong to him, you're stuck. You're there forever. That's really good news. You cannot lose your salvation. Nobody can take it away. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed, and that idea of sealed is exactly that. Sealed, it's done, right? The Holy Spirit is given to us at the moment of salvation, which seals us for the day when Christ returns or or when we die to go be with him, right? It's sealed, it's done. Here's the point. It is impossible for a believer to lose their salvation. It is impossible for a believer to lose their salvation. You see it in Romans 8, John chapter three, all over. It is very clear, right? Because if we can lose it, that means we can earn it. Therefore, salvation is based on works. But in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we see very clearly salvation is by faith alone, God's grace alone, in what Jesus did alone. So it is impossible to lose salvation. So this passage can't mean that. So what does it mean? It could mean that a person looks like they're saved, but they're not really Right, somebody part of the church, they, they, you know, and everybody say this is a, a brother or sister, and then they walk away, and it's like, oh, they, they never truly were saved to begin with. Is that biblical? First John two nineteen. 
John writes this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So there, that's him saying, all right, these people who were part of the faith, right? They were like one of us sitting here, and then they drifted away. They said, you know, I don't don't believe anymore. I'm going that way. He says, they went out of us because they were never truly one of us. Matthew chapter 7, if you remember Matthew 7, where Jesus, uh, he's telling parables, um, and he tells a story of, of two different people who come before the throne in the end, right? And they stand before, and there's th- this group who says, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. So there are some of those who are in the church and even doing you know, spiritual activity who never really know Christ. Uh, So, again, is it possible for some to look like they're believers, but they're not? It is. It is possible for people to participate in the church, yet never actually have saving faith. This is a little bit scary, right? I I mean, this is one of those where, you know, you might look at this and go, well, is is that me? Right? Now, if you can lose your salvation, according to this passage, if you're looking at this, then it also means you can never get it back. Because it is impossible, it says, to renew them to repentance. So what does that mean, right? It is impossible to renew them to repentance. There are all kinds of translations, right, on how to read this, right, or interpretations. of people saying it means this and it means this. Is it impossible for anybody, right? Is there anybody where it is impossible for them to be saved? No, right? Scripture makes it very clear. Anyone can be saved if they, by faith, surrender to Jesus as Lord. So, so what is... What does this mean, this impossible? Maybe the best would be it is impossible for someone else to renew them to repentance. So you have a friend, a family member, somebody who has been part of the church, right? They, they've learned, they've, they've tasted, they've done all this, and then they leave, and it's like, man, it is impossible for you to go convince them to come back, to renew them to repentance. But it's not impossible for God, right? God can do all things. So this is one of those somewhat difficult Words, again, I'm telling you, this is the most difficult passage probably in all of Scripture uh, to, to interpret. But here, again, it's not impossible for anyone to be saved. So here's the fear that some will read this. Uh, and you might have this. You look at this and like, is that me? Right? Am I the apostate? That's the word used, apostate. Someone who's part of the faith and then leaves. They, they apostatize. Maybe you've heard that. They leave. And you might be saying, well, is that me? I've done this. I, I've, I've committed the unforgivable sin, uh, right? I can't be renewed to repent. I'm lost for good. Here's the good news. That's impossible, <laughs> right? And for you, if you're here or, or at any point you're like, no, I want to repent. I want to follow Christ. Boom, you're not this person, right? So, so fairly easy. The falling away of an unbeliever involves a sustained, committed rejection of Christ and a departure from the Christian community. Meaning, fear not, right? If you desire God, you desire truth, you're good. Don't worry about it. This is the person who says, I reject what the Bible teaches. I reject that Jesus is the only way. I reject that he died uh, and rose from the dead. Now, look at verses seven and eight, because here we're gonna see these two different responses to the gospel, to the good news. Two different responses for people who are part of the community. Uh, Verse seven, it says, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those 
for whose sake it was cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Again, some of this seems kind of hard to understand, but he's given us an example, right? So you, you till the ground. Maybe you have a garden. Um, I, I have a garden and, and, you know, tilled it, do all the stuff, right? And this year, the tomatoes in that section did not grow at all, but grass grew, right? So you do all this work and, and you give it all the nutrient, whatever, and if it produces good fruit, there's a blessing. So that's the believer who is, is reading God's word, who is part of the community, who is growing and learning, right? And they're wanting to, to grow. They're going to bear fruit. They're going to grow. Or there's those who do all this. And again, that's why I think a lot of times kids fit into this, right? Because parents, we make them come. Um, and at some point, they make their own choice. But they could be those, I've, I've experienced it, but there's no fruit, right? It just bears thorns and thistles, meaning they've had all the benefits but it produces nothing. There's, there's no love produced in them. They walk away. Here's the danger, again. Those two groups, right? Say it's the, the non-believer, right? Or the believer, you can't really tell the difference. You know what I mean? There, there's those who, they're, they're here, um, or they, they walk away, and they're still a believer, or they walk away and they're a non-believer, they walk away, there's no security in that. And that's kind of what he's trying to get here. This is the, the danger side of the coin of rejecting Christ. Now, there's a third option. As you look at this passage, there's a third option of what this might mean. And this might mean those who are truly saved and walk away and they're gonna lose something. Is that possible? Is it possible for someone to walk away right, from the faith community, and look like they reject it, but still be saved, yet lose their eternal rewards. Well, it looks like that's possible biblically. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11 through 15, and that'll be on the screen also. It says, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, his workmanship will be evident because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will prove the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as through the flames. Notice that there's similar language, right? Uh, of things that will burn up, uh, of like the thorns, wood, hay, and stubble. Here, it is very clear, right? Although rare, it is possible for a true believer to waste their life, yet still enter God's eternal kingdom. It is possible, but I would say rare. It is rare. But yes, right, that, that Corinthians passage, there are some who their faith is real, but then they never grow. And it says they enter as through fire, right? These are ones that I, I, I picture them stumbling into heaven with their, their clothes on fire, they're singed, and they're there, um, but as I think Ben told me once, uh, heaven needs toilet scrubbers too. So, so there's, a, there's a reward aspect. Now, here's how we started that, right? Uh, of you, you do a work for the neighbor not knowing what you're going to get, and is it worth it? Following Christ is worth it. We don't fully understand what those rewards are, but we know it's worth it. You know, here at Common Ground, one of our big things, we, we talk about life change, right? We want to change. We want to grow. We don't want to just do religion. And part of the way we grow is going to God's word humbly. And I have to be honest, reading Hebrews, studying Hebrews, 
for me, I'm having to read it humbly and wrestle with it for weeks before I get up and preach it. Because this passage, for me, I, I always just believe immediately, oh, this is just a non-believer, right? That looks like a believer and fell away. That might be what it means. But as I've read in context and looking, the tasted, right? The experience, it looks like these words used, this is a real believer. And they're losing eternal rewards. So here, here's the bad news. Your pastor is still learning still growing. I've read this and, and God changed my mind on how to interpret this because I always read it this because that's what everybody else always told me. Then you dig in. Here's my point. As you go to God's word, go humbly, right? Let it shape you rather than all your previous life shape how you read it. It's the truth. But here's, that's, so where I've landed, and you can land different, and that's okay actually on this one, but where I've landed is this is somebody who is a believer but they've lost their rewards. They've lost even a measure of their inheritance. They'll enter the God's kingdom, it, you know, eternal, and they'll be there, but they will miss out. Now, here's the good news. He shares this, and he's like, but I don't think this is you. Again, the warning, and he's already gone through these warnings. Don't drift, don't drift. Some of you are going back to the basics, um, but I don't think this is you because I think you're gonna grow. I've already seen the evidence in your life uh, so here's the good news. Look at verse nine. He says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have a full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Here's the good news. <laughs> he, he shares that, like, this could be you. You could drift away. You could be not saved, or you could lose your rewards, but I don't think this is you. Now, again, as I was praying over and studying this this morning, the picture came of the person, and I have many in my life pictures of people who were this. They start to drift. Uh, right? And it's, it's a slow, they start to doubt. And really, let's be honest, they start to want sin. They want a relationship that is not in line with how God would have it. They want something else. And so they create doubts, right? Oh, I'm not so sure Jesus is the only way. Um, you know, Genesis, God created, but with the word, no, I think, you know, evolution. And so they start to drift, they start to doubt, but they use that doubt as an excuse to sin, Right? And then they find themselves far away. Rather than, by the way, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. Yet go to God's word for truth. Let it shape you. Doubt is not bad. Parents, if your kids doubt, let them doubt. You want them doubting while they're in your house? <laughs> in fact, encourage the doubt so that you can speak into it and help them find the truth. Doubt is not bad. But when we use it as an excuse right, to drift away, that's where the danger is. So again, that's why I feel like this passage is perfect for kids. But here's the point that we see in these verses. God will remember our good works done for his glory and for his people. So that's here, right? You guys are starting to drift. You're starting to go back to the basics and doubt the basics, but I don't think you've lost your salvation. You know, you can't lose it. I don't think you're drifting away because I've seen the evidence by you showing love for fellow believers the way you've served. So, kind of go back to last week. So, Let's grow up, right? Let's move forward. Let's move on because you're in the good group, right? You're in the salvation group, those who will stand before God in the end, and he'll say, 
I knew you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter my rest. You will remember our good works. The, the word that kind of sticks out to me as we read in, in these verses here is sluggish. Verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish. Sluggish. What is that? Yeah, that's the idea. Again, all of Hebrews is one big sermon, one big story. Do not be sluggish. We get into the church, right? We start doing churchy stuff, whatever, and we can get sluggish, right? We can get lazy. We can start, well, I'm not going to come on Sunday because the weather's really good and I'd rather go do whatever. Um, and that's fine. You, you know, I'm not saying you can't skip church on Sunday, but when that becomes a pattern and pretty soon you're like, I haven't been to church in four months, that's a problem, right? And we start to drift and we get sluggish. Oh, I know I should be spending time in God's word, but I'm too tired. You know, I wake up tired. I'm not doing that. Uh, I know I should be sharing my faith with those around me. My neighbor's lost uh, and we have, a, I don't feel, right? Sluggish. That's what he's talking about. You've been a Christian for a while and you just kind of get lazy and get bored with it. What he's saying here is no, don't be sluggish. Get in the game. Continue on. Again, back to last week. It, grow up. Be part of the mission. Be diligent to serve God, not sluggish, because there are eternal rewards for a life sold out to Jesus. There are eternal rewards for a life sold out to Jesus. Uh, I enjoyed last week, I got to go down to Arizona and visit Lydia, who is our 19-year-old, holy moly. Um, and she's, she's going to college down there, and she's gotten involved in a church, which is awesome. She was on the worship team, and so I got to go down and, and watch. But it was neat seeing another church in another state with kind of the same heart that we have, and it was kind of a lot of fun. But, you know, he's there. He's talking about this, this mission that we have, you know, that, that trying to reach all those around. They're right next to a school. He's like, we're serving that school, uh, and anything they want, we say yes. And it's like, man, that is just like, like us. But that's God's mission. So down there, you know, I get to see God all over the place. Again, but the dangers are the same everywhere. This, this danger of, again, being sluggish. And so what do we do? We follow the example of faithful believers. We follow the example of faithful believers. So here's the, the danger also, right? We start to do this and, and we look at these promises. You know, what are these promises? These promises for eternal salvation. Uh, uh, in Romans, we see the promise, uh, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He talks about these promises, and the danger for them was the danger for us, that we want to see those promises fulfilled now, right? Or we come to faith, and Jesus is going to fix our life, right? Right now. He says, no, here's how you do it. You follow the example of others, and here's the example we're given. In verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
Man, there's a lot in this. <laughs> but here he says again, follow the example of faithful believers. And the example given is Abraham. Now, what were the promises given to Abraham? Right, God called Abraham. He said, leave here, go to a place I will show you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. You're going to be a blessing to all the world. He had no kids, right? He, he was old. His wife was old. They had no children. Do you know how long it was between that promise and when he had uh, Isaac? 25 years. He had to wait 25 years for the fulfillment of that promise. And he never saw the real promise, right, of, of him becoming a great nation. He never saw all those kids. And the great promise given to Abraham was the blessing that came through Jesus Christ. That was hundreds and hundreds of years. He never saw that. But yet God still fulfilled his promise, meaning Abraham was patient. That's the example we're given. And that's what we're told here, right? We come to know Christ. Our faith is secure. And there are great promises in this life and in the next. But they might not happen right now. So be patient. Be patient. It's worth it. It will come at some point, right? Uh, and this is one of those that I've, I've talked to people. They, I tried the Christian thing and it didn't work, right? Because we want God to fix our marriage, fix our kids, fix our, right? All these things and fix it now. That's our society, right? Amazon, Prime, boom, I get it tomorrow. McDonald's, you order it, it's right now. Uh, if you go to a fast food restaurant, they take more than five minutes, you're in pay. We take that same thing to Christ. And he's saying here, be patient. God's promises and his purpose will not ever change, although it may take time for them to come to fruition, right? His promise and his purpose. What's his purpose? His purpose is to restore all things back to the original creation, right? That's his purpose, and he's doing that through Christ. He created everything in Genesis 1. He created it. He said everything is good, right? There was no sin. Relationships were perfect. Relationship with God was perfect. He's restoring that in the end. Sending Jesus, right? Jesus came, was our sacrifice to cover sin, began that restoration process. When he comes back, it's going to be perfect. That's his purpose. And he's restoring it through Christ. And he's going to fulfill it. This whole passage here where he's saying, you know, two promises, you know, or making an oath, that's God basically saying, I don't lie. I promise to do it. You can have faith it's going to happen. Right? You swear on something greater than yourself. There's nothing greater than God. And so God promises on himself he's going to make these things happen. So now we trust God in the process. Right? Patiently and diligently serve Jesus, clinging to Jesus until the day we see him face to face and are rewarded. You know, verse 19, I love this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What is the great promise that we see here? And this is a promise for right now. This is not a promise for future. It is a promise, for, but it's a promise right now. Jesus entered behind the veil. What is that talking about? Uh, we're going to get into this some next week, but looking at the, uh, the priestly order of Melchizedek, and, and Ben hinted at it because he saw it last week. But here, we're talking again about this, this priestly order. And we've already talked about this some, the high priest. In the temple, right, the Jewish temple, there was an area called the Holy of Holies. That was the place where that only the high priest would go and only once a year to make sacrifice for sin. That was the, the direct, perfect presence of God is that area. There was a veil that, that blocked that area off. So again, nobody went back there. 
And that veil was six inches. You look in the Old Testament, you can see the instructions for how to make it. A six-inch thick veil. What this says, Jesus went behind that veil, meaning he went directly into God's presence. But more than that, he makes it possible for us to go behind that veil. When Jesus died on the cross, you know, we're, we're in the Christmas season, which is great. You know, Jesus, a baby in a manger. He didn't stay a baby. He grew up and he went to the cross. And when he was on that cross and he died, he said, it is finished. I, I mean, I, I want to, in the end, like when we're in I really want to watch a video of that day. I want to, I do, I want to see what happened because it got dark. The earth shook. And in the temple, that veil, it still gives me chills, that veil tore in two. It ripped. I, that's impossible, right? God tore that into telling everybody there is a new order in town. It no longer is it a priest that has to take, you know, go into God's presence for you. You now can go into God's presence directly. That's the great promise. It's not that he's going to fix everything in our life now. Again, we, we looked at promises some weeks ago, but it's that he'll go through it with us. That we have him no matter what. Do you have hard things? Guess what? God knows it, and he's, he's here with you. And you don't have to come to a pastor. You don't, have to go to a, you don't have to go to anybody else to get to him. You have direct access to God. That's what he's saying. That is really good news, and that's available right now to everybody who will bow the knee to Jesus. You know, this, this warning ends in, in encouragement, right? This warning, do not drift. Do not go away. Uh, I go back to that. That those two verses, right, where he says there's, there's the two groups, and you have all the things available, right? You have this, preaching from God's word. You have the singing, but, you know, we're, we're told to sing a new song. We're told to worship. There's something that happens when we worship together. Uh, God gives us community. You know, one of those things here at Common Ground we talk a lot about is, is groups. We don't have a lot of programs. We have groups. Why? Because real, authentic life change happens in community around God's word. So do you, you know, is, is it biblical to do groups the way we do it? It's not commanded. But we are commanded to have relationships with fellow believers. So it's all these things. Are we availing ourselves to all the things God gives his people? And then are we actually surrendering to it? Are we letting it change us? Right? Again, it's the, it's the rain falling. It's, it's the nutrients put in the soil. Are we then growing and producing fruit? Or are we just kind of taking it lightly? You know, last week when I was at the, this other church, one of the things the pastor said that stuck out to me, he said, we're supposed to be radical freaks, something like that. I'm like, yeah, we are. <laughs> you know, I, I, yes, we are. We're not supposed to just trying to blend in with the world. We're supposed to be radical. We're supposed to be different. We don't just add Jesus into our life to make our life better. Jesus takes over our life. Jesus becomes our life because Jesus went to that cross, not just to save us, you know, so he can make our life better here, but to save us eternally so that we could become part of his family and then he could live in and through us to change the world around us. And by the way, that purpose, that promise, it's going to happen. Christ is gonna return. He's gonna set up everything perfectly. He's gonna reign and rule. Where are we gonna be? You know, this, the, the, the main point, I think, in this whole thing is are you gonna be there getting rewards? Are you gonna be there at all? Excellent. Yes, Morgan, I think you will be there. <laughs> yes. And I do believe that there are, there's an inheritance, there are rewards that we can lose, that we can not gain by the way that we live our life now. This is a big deal. I, again, I wish I had more of this, I think, growing up, more of this that, that there are eternal rewards, what we do matters. I, I kind of always thought, well, I'm saved, so I'm saved. It doesn't matter what I do anymore. 
That's not what scripture teaches. It matters greatly what we do. And so avail yourself to all the things that God gives us. You know, we talk about next steps all the time. What is your next step today? Well, I would say for you, one, have you bowed the knee to Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? He is God in flesh. He died on the cross, rose from the dead for you. Have you bowed the knee to him? Today is the day to do that if you haven't. And are you holding back, right? Like, uh, I want to do the church thing. I want to be, but I don't want to really go all in, right? I don't want to go to a group every week. That's a lot. That's busy. Maybe, maybe it's time for you to get in relationships, actually start to share life with others. Maybe, maybe it's time for you to actually confess some sin to a fellow believer. Whatever it is, what is your next step, right, to join the mission, right? right? We are not an event to attend. We are a mission to join. Have you joined the mission or are you just kind of attending, right, to get what you want? God saves us to do something through us. Let's pray. God, we love you. Um, I, I thank you for, for your word. This, this whole chapter is, is a difficult one, um, but the point is not that difficult. The point is simple, uh, and, and it is right there, that there are eternal rewards, um, and that judgment is real. God, we love you. We want to be those who, who enter your kingdom um, and receive rewards, not for our own glory, uh, but for yours. We, we see in the book of Revelation, the saints coming before you, and they're actually throwing their crowns before you, meaning it looks like the rewards that you give, we lay them at your feet, and you get the credit for those. God, we live in a, a tough place uh, here in northern Nevada. There's a lot of uh, addiction. Uh, go down the list. There's a lot of sin, and there are few believers in our area. God, we want to see your kingdom grow here at Common Ground and at the other churches. God, we pray that, that you would use us for your glory, that we would experience the abundant life. Uh, we would bear fruit in our own lives and, and enjoy you. But God, that we would then share that with others and we would see many saved, many baptized, um, and lives changed. We love you. In your name, amen. <laughs>